Well, my message this morning is entitled, Filled Dreams. Many of you can remember a movie that came out not too, well, I guess time passes awful fast. It was several years ago when there was the Field of Dreams movie that came out, and um, it was all about baseball and that kind of thing. But today I'm going to take you back to the Bible to take a look at a story that Jesus told that we're going to call, and I think you'll see why in just a moment, Field of Dreams. But before I get to the story today, I want to just take a moment to talk to you about maybe the kind of message that you're about to hear. Many of us, when we think about what we're going to hear in a sermon, we expect to hear uh, a bunch of do's and don'ts. You know, this is right, this is wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that because the Bible does have do's and don'ts in it, and we may as well be honest about that. But I do think sometimes we give maybe more attention than we should to the do's and don'ts because I think what happens is we, we, we begin to look at everything in our lives in line with, well, what's right and what's wrong and how close can I get to being wrong and still do what I want to do. The Bible does talk to us, though, about a, a, lot, a lot of things about doing what is, what is wise and maybe wiser, or what is smart and what is smarter. And in line with that, the Holy Spirit gives us principles. That's what I want to get to this morning. This is a principle message. And what a principle is, is just something that God has de- decreed or spun into the universe, and it's just a way of thinking or a way of living. And you can plug that principle into any given situation in your life, and it will work. God's principles are just that way. When in Isaiah, the Bible says that we don't think like God thinks, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I think the Bible's talking about these principles. Most people do not live their lives according to God's principles. And that's why so many people struggle with life. And so throughout the Bible, God gives us these principles. I say all that to say this. I'm really not sure I know how to apply this morning's message. Uh, I, I, I kept waking up during the night thinking about today's message, and I kept asking myself, what's this message about? What am I going to ask these people to do? And the answer is, I'm not really sure, because it's a principle. It's just one of, those, one of those lines of thought, one of those things that God teaches us that you can apply just about any situation to your life to, and it will work. So I want to give you the principle, and then you can take it and apply it however God leads you to by His Holy Spirit. For some of you, this is going to be a message about your money. For some of you, this will be a message about your time. For some of you, this may be a message about your focus or what's important to you, your priorities. I mean, it could be just about anything in the world because, again, this is a principle. Now, this morning, I want to invite you to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 uh, to hear just a real quick story from Jesus. One thing I love about reading Jesus' stories, sometimes they're called parables, uh, I, I love the fact that Jesus told edgy stories. I mean, when you read his stories, it's like sometimes you have to scratch your head and say, did I just hear what I think I heard? And he must have been somebody to listen to. And in fact, he was. I mean, people stayed all day to listen to him. And then when he finally was going to go someplace else, they would follow him to hear him teach more. He, he just had edgy stories. And these were stories that weren't, you know, weren't stories with, with finely defined, uh, defined lines you know, where everybody can say, oh, I know what that story was about. Some, some of his stories left people scratching their heads. And this one little story that we're going to read today is one of those. And it's the, it's the story that we get our title filled of dreams from. So Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and that's important because there are some stories in the Bible that we call kingdom parables. And in these kingdom parables, our Lord was just trying to tell people, this is how heaven works. You know, you're familiar with how earth works, but this is how heaven works. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said, but I say. You know, this is how people here think. Jesus is saying, 
This is how it works in heaven. This is how we think in heaven. So the story that you're about to read is one of those kingdom stories. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that fill. Now, like I said, it's a little bit of an edgy story because the first time we hear this, we're saying, hmm, I mean, is Jesus really, is Jesus really puffing this guy? Because after all, it sounds like what he does isn't strictly honest. Some of you know what it's like to sell your house or to buy a house, and there are, law, there are disclosure laws, aren't there? And what happens in our story seems like something less than full disclosure. What we have is we have a guy who's walking, you know, he's walking down a path and, and uh, he just maybe wants to cut across and cut off, shave off some, some time from his journey and he decides to walk through a field. It was an agrarian culture back then. There were a lot of fields planted with various crops and he walks across this field. have no idea how it happens, but somehow while he was walking across this field, he discovers treasure. I don't know what it was, but it was worth a lot. Maybe there were gold coins in it. Maybe it was gold bullion. I don't know what it was. Maybe it, it was jewels, diamonds, coins. I don't know. But he finds treasure that was buried in a field. Well, that happened. Because when Jesus taught for about the last 700 years, the Jewish people had been rousted around by several different powerful nations. And several times, Jewish people were carried away into captivity. And as they were carried away, they, they, they had the hope and the dream that somehow they would come back home again. And many of them dug holes as they traveled and buried their treasure in the ground hoping to return. Alas, many of them did not. And because of that, it was a pretty common thing for people every once in a while to find something buried in a field that was valuable. And so that's what happened with this guy. He found, but it wasn't just something valuable, he found treasure in this field. Now, as I said, somebody could say, well, Mark, that doesn't sound strictly honest, because what happens here is the guy digs it a hole, buries it back in the ground, he goes back and he, he determines he's going to sell everything he has so he can come back and buy this field knowing that the treasure is in it. And somebody could say, doesn't sound strictly honest with me, but let me just throw a few things out for you to consider so that you'll know that it was perfectly honest. If this guy was a thief, what would he have done? He would have just taken the treasure with him when he found it. So if he was a, th a thief, that's what he would have. He just said, hmm, treasure, finders, keepers, possessions, nine-tenths of the law. I found it. It belongs to me. Goodbye. But he didn't. He put it back where he found it. Well, somebody could say it's not fair to the owner. Well, wait a minute. If it belonged to the owner, if the owner knew about it, he's the one who buried it. When this guy comes back to buy the field, the treasure's not going to be there anymore because the owner, knowing it's buried out there in the field, is going to go out and retrieve it before he sells land. No. It was just a practice that was common in those days. And this guy was ethical. He was above board. He just determined he wanted that field because that field had treasure in it. Now, that's what gives us our, our theme this morning, field of dreams. Because that's what this guy wanted to buy. He wanted to buy this field of dreams. In this field, there was treasure there that he thought could revolutionize his life. Now, some of you are into investment. And if you're into investment, there are three things that are going to resonate immediately with you from this story. You know, especially real estate. If you, if you know, if you're in real estate speculation, there are just three, three elements of this guy's story that are just going to be all over you. You're going to say, yeah, I understand these things. These are things are part and parcel of my life. Whenever you're going to invest, you have to do three things that this guy did. Number one, you have to get out in front of it. You have to get out in front before the, before the land justifies its value in the sight of everybody you got to get out there before everybody else sees 
and, and get out in front. And that's what this guy did. Not at this point, he was ahead of the game. Nobody else knew what he knew. He was going to get out in front of this thing. He was going to look out into the future. I remember when we bought this land 11 years ago. In those days, there was nothing out here but a road, just K96, and it was brand new. And I'll, I'll never forget what happened when, you know, when I began to communicate that God had done this wonderful miracle that allowed us to purchase this land here. And, and in those days, it, it, didn't seem as, it didn't seem as smart as it seems today because it looked like this road was out in the middle of nowhere. We were moving 12 miles away from the middle part of town. And, and people, I don't know how many times people came to me and said, but pastor, there's nothing out there. There's nothing out there but wheat fields, milo fields. We're going to move out into the middle of no place. But probably my, my, my clearest memory is the Sunday morning after the Saturday night when I got a call that said that we could acquire this land. And I've told you the story. Most of you have heard me tell the story. I mean, we got this land for a ridiculously low price. And I knew at the time that God had done a miracle. But I remember calling our leadership together. And in those days, we had, a, we, had, you know, we had a large group of deacons and trustees who met. And we met in my office, and I shared with them this marvelous thing that God had done for us to give us this land. And we'd been talking about acquiring land, and we'd been setting aside funds for it, and we were ready to go. And I'll never forget that when we came to that moment of decision, there was a handful of guys who just said, we don't know. We don't know. And they begin to pull back. And I, I thought, man, we have this incredible, miraculous offer on the table to acquire this land for $300,000, 40 acres on the corner of 21st Street in K96. And I did something that I've never, never did before and I've never done since. I, you know, leaders shouldn't give people ultimatums because you, don't, you may not like what you're going to hear. That was the first and only time that I can remember ever giving our leadership team, our deacons and trustees, an ultimatum. I said, guys, here's how this goes. I believe God has given us this land. I believe this is the place where we need to be. That's what I believe. If you've got a better side of land, another side of land, then praise God for it. I'll be glad to go that direction. But if all you want is to sit here in this location and die strangled by the growth we have, I said, you got the wrong pastor. You need to find somebody else. You'll have somebody else in the pulpit next week. I was thankful that three minutes later we voted to buy the land. <laughs> well, now it's obvious, isn't it? Look at all the development, all the rooftops around us and the explosive growth that's in this area. But what happened, we had to get out in front of it because if we had waited until this area justified this piece of property as being you know, usable for the future, it would have been so expensive that we could never have afforded it. God helped us to get way out in front of it. Now, that first principle is tied very closely to the second thing that we see in this guy because he had to see something that other people could not see. That's the great thing about an investor. An investor always sees things that other people cannot see because if other people could see it, then there's no potential for growth. There, there has to be that keen eye, that keen sensitivity, that, uh, that ability to research and to know what is a good stock and what is not a good stock and, and, and a market that's about to explode and something that's already peaked and the growth has already been milked out. I'm sure there were other people, other travelers who walked by this, this field, they didn't see a thing, they just saw dirt. 
They just saw a crop growing there. And that owner, he, he wasn't getting offers from these, these people because as they, as they traveled by, they didn't see a thing. But this guy saw something that others didn't see. Third thing that I see that those of you who invest understand very clearly is this. He realized he could not keep what he had and buy this field too. He had to turn loose of some things that he had today in order to acquire this wonderful field of dreams, this field with treasure in it. And that's how it is with, you see, this is why most people don't invest. They don't want to turn loose of what they have today so that they may have more in the future. They want to live life as a consumer. And because they, they want to consume, it's like, well, I'm not going to turn loose of this amount of my income today to invest in, in, in you know, stocks or bonds or, or real estate because I want to enjoy what I have today. Man, this guy looked at the price of this field, and he said, I'm going to have to liquidate everything I've got. i got to sell everything I've got so that I can get the funds to go buy this field of dreams. Now, with those three principles in mind, I want to talk to you and me about the way that you and I are living our lives today. Because if we are going to live successful lives as followers of Jesus Christ, those three elements have to be in our lives. Number one, we have to get out in front. We have, to, we have to take the long look. We have to look at our lives today, where we're going in the future, living in this life today, thinking about heaven and tomorrow, and we've got to say, hey, where am I going to be several years down the road? Peter asked this question in Luke chapter 18, verse 28. He said, we've left our homes and followed you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you, everyone who has given up a house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life as well as receiving eternal life in the world to come. God, to ask you a quick question. I know that many of you have already determined to follow Jesus and you've accepted him as your Savior and your Lord. God, to ask you a question. Real honest. What does heaven mean to you what does heaven mean to you let me just tell you what i think the average christian thinks about heaven here's here's how i see it i think the average christian says you know what god doesn't want me to think about heaven right now i'm here i'm in i'm not in the sweet by and by i'm in the nasty now and now so i'm not going to think about heaven you know when the time comes to me to float on a cloud and twang on a harp and you know float along have wings on my back that i'll do that but right now i'm doing my stuff i'm doing my thing that is as backward to the Bible as it can possibly be. Here's how the Bible tells you life works. Scripture says you're going to be, do well to live 70 years here. Maybe some of us will live to be 80. Maybe just a little bit longer. But that's it. And Solomon tells us we're not going to really enjoy the last years of our lives all that much if we do live long lives. But when you leave this life, you're going someplace either going to heaven to be with God forever or you're going to hell to be separated from God forever. But when you leave this life, you're going someplace forever. This life is short. Eternity is long. We make a tragic miscalculation when we consume all our resources for this life and we don't think about the life to come. And again, I think here's how a lot of Christians think. They think, well, Mark, you know, I just want to get in. You know, I don't care, you know, if I get rewards or crowns or anything like that. I just want to get in. I, well, let me ask you this. Do you care about your standard of living today? Well, I think you're going to care about it then. You know, i got to make a trip today. As soon as this service is over, i got to make a trip. I'm going to be gone for three days. I'll be in Texas. I would be crazy 
to take all my money, what little I have, and pour it into these three days in Texas and then come back and lose, you know, wonder how I'm going to pay my house payment and my utility bills and all that. Because, see, what really matters to me is my standard of living where I'm going to live for the long haul. And I'll tell you, if you care about your standard of living now in this transitory, temporary life that you and I are living in, you're going to care about your standard of living today. So often in church, the question gets asked, are you going to heaven? You know, I've been in services where you're asked to raise your hand. If you know for sure you're going to heaven, raise your hand. I've been in services like that. Maybe we need to ask another question. After you've settled that question of are you going to heaven or not, maybe the question to ask is what kind of standard of living are you going to have in heaven? Man, if you care about where you live today, you're going to really care about where you live in heaven. And by the way, I don't have time to develop this today, but I just, I love to talk about heaven. Because, see, I think it doesn't get preached about very much. Almost like the nasty little secret that you don't hear in church, and yet it's the most awesome, glorious thing that we can ever experience. I was reading about a, an African Bible student who came to the United States to study for ministry. And he was in a homiletics class, and each one of the students had to preach a sermon. First sermon he ever preached in his life, he stood up before the homiletics class and preached on heaven. And here's what he said. And it really got to me. He said, you know, I, I've been here in the United States for several months, and he said, I've seen your beautiful houses and your fast cars and your nice clothes. He said, I've noticed something about being in your American churches. He said, you don't talk about heaven much. And he said, I think the reason for that is you have so much stuff that this world begins to feel like heaven for you. He said, in Africa, where I'm from, we don't have anything, and we talk about heaven all the time. I think that may be part of it. But I want you to understand that heaven is not going to be, you know, the place like you see it depicted in the cartoons. You know, you see heaven where people are kind of floating around on clouds. And frankly, could I just be, I mean, nobody here but you and me here in this 930 service. I don't think we'll televise this one. But can I just be real blunt with you here today? If that was it, if all I'm going to do is float around on a cloud and play a harp, to me, heaven would look pretty boring. That would just, I mean, I have ADHD. I would get tired real fast, you know. Next. I, listen, here's the thing. Heaven is so awesome we can't even begin to imagine it. What you got to think about is think about how wonderful this world is, how beautiful this world is. Remember this. This world is messed up because of sin. There's no way we can imagine how awesome God made this earth in the first place before sin messed it up. In heaven there will be no curse. And I'll tell you, our Lord made this earth in six days. He's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. And I don't know what you think about this. I'm doing the best I can with my finite mind, but I believe heaven is going to be a magnificent place. I believe there are going to be mountains. I believe there are going to be beaches. I believe there are going to be golf courses. I, believe, I, I just believe heaven is going to be the most awesome place where we're going to do the things that we enjoy doing. I think God, God is a student of you. He's been watching you. He knows what you like to do. Man, if you like to work with your hands, think about the projects in heaven. If you like gardening, just imagine the one who made the Garden of Eden has made heaven. Just Here's what I think. Some of you have lost children. You've lost babies. I believe that in heaven, if not the millennial kingdom, I believe they will grow up to be everything God ever destined them to be. I'm just telling you, heaven is an awesome place. You've got to think about the resources you have today, and you've got to say, am I getting out in front of this thing? Am I, am I getting out there? And then the second thing is so close to it, you've got to ask yourself, am I, am I seeing things? 
that other people don't see. Because quite honestly, most Christians today are not connecting their resources today with the future. Again, just us here. Most Christians feel this way about serving the Lord. I need to go to church. I need to go to church, take my Bible, listen to a sermon, got God out of the way, bingo, back to my regular life. Oh, what a mistake that is. See, God wants you to live on earth and live for heaven. I mean, the resources you have, your time, your energy, your finances, your focus, your talents, your abilities, God wants you to leverage those things today so that you are living for the kingdom to come. My question for you is, do you see things that other people can't see? I'm not griping today. Please know my heart, I'm not griping. I'm filled with joy this morning. But sometimes it breaks my heart when I look at this marvelous ministry and the opportunities that people have through this ministry to invest in the kingdom. You know, let me just give you an example. We have, we have, we have so many children in our facility here. And we have the chance to invest in those children eternal truth. And, and I listen to our children's leaders as they struggle and tell me, you know, Pastor, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to find enough people to, to, to watch our children in the nursery. Pastor, it's hard to get enough volunteers to come and work with children. And, and I'm not grappling, I'm just saying it just kind of break my heart a little bit. Because I realize that what we have is a bunch of overfed, overfed overpaid American Christians who think that this is the place to pour all our resources and we're not investing in the future. We're not investing in the life to come. God is just saying, get out in front of this thing. See things that others cannot see. Some of you may have seen a movie in the theaters in the last few weeks called End of the Spear. End of the Spear is the story of, of missionaries in the 50s who went down to Ecuador who were killed by the natives, the very natives that they tried to take the gospel to. They were speared and left there for dead. And it looks like, I mean, I, I, I've read the story of Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and the other missionaries who were killed. They were some of the brightest young men. I mean, they absolutely impacted the whole country. Life magazine featured them with a cover story, and their story is legend here in the United States. And even now here in the 21st century, there's a movie in the theaters about what these guys did and how they gave up their lives for the gospel. You know, if you looked at that from a purely earthly standpoint, you would say, what a waste. These are such bright young men to give up their lives. But here's what Jim Elliott, here's what the leader said of that group. He said before, this is before he went to, to, the, to the mission field, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, what we're trying to do, so many of us, we're trying to hold on to what we cannot keep and we're losing the things that God wants us to hold on to forever. So my question for us today is, um, do you see things that others don't see? When you look at the world, when you look at this church, when you look at serving God, are there things that are valuable to you that, that other people, that's not valuable to them? You know, I, had, I, was, I was talking to the creative team about this story, and in my mind I see this guy who wants to buy this field. And, and other people don't know in the town, other, other real estate agents, they don't, they don't know what he's up to. They just, I mean, they don't know what he wants to buy. All they, all they notice is he's selling all his properties. And they must think to themselves, you know, 
He must have found something really good, you know? I don't know. Maybe the oil market's going to take off, and he's just trying to liquidate all his stuff and get into the oil market. So they're kind of watching him. People are observing him to see, what's he going to do with these funds once he's liquidated all his assets? And don't you know how they must have scratched their heads when he took all the money that he had and he bought this one piece of farmland? But the deal was, he saw what others couldn't see. And you know what? That's what you and I need to do. I don't know where this sermon's going to touch you. I mean, it may, be, it may have to do with your giving. It may, it may be how you use your finances. It may be how you use your time. It may be how you live your life. I mean, maybe, maybe there's some of you here today, and you, you're a follower of Jesus, but you never have any time to, to study your Bible, or read your Bible, or pray, or talk to God. And, and this is just getting to you, and you're saying, you know what, i got to see stuff. I mean, other people can get up and go through their day without spending time with God, but I see value where they don't see value. And you start changing your life to fit your values and what you can see. Well, finally, third thing I see about this guy was he had to to sacrifice. He could not hold on to the land and the possessions that he had and have the field of dreams too. See, that's, that's my problem sometimes. I want all this in heaven too. See, I, I want... I want to, I want to live, a, live a rich life here on the earth, and then I want to die and go to heaven and have the praise of heaven, have the accolade of heaven. And you can't have both things. See, just like you can't hold on to all your paycheck and invest too, you can't use up all your resources on this life and have the blessings of heaven at the same time. If you want God to bless you forever in heaven, you've got to make a conscious decision to turn loose of some things that you have here in order to have treasure in heaven. How big is that to you? Oh, my guess is that I've lost some of you already. It's kind of like, whoa, okay. I'll wait till next week. Maybe Mark will have something good next week. This is just not getting to me. Or it could be that you're, you're really getting this and you're, you're buying into this. Just want you to hear what Jesus said. You know, Jesus told a story about a guy who was very American. He, he, he had been real successful financially. And, and this particular guy was a farmer. Like I said, it was an agriculture, agricultural society back in these days. And this guy, I mean, he planted his fields, and, and he got great, great yields, and he rented other fields. And before long, I mean, he was, just, he was just rolling in the money. I mean, and beyond that, he had all these crops. But he sat down to one night, and he said, I got this problem. I, I've got so much produce, I don't have the barns to store all my stuff. And he sat up late one night, and he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to just demolish everything I've got. I'm going to build bigger structures, and I'm going to have barns that are going to be able to store so much produce. I'm going to be able to retire and enjoy life. Sounds like a plan, amen? Sounds like what we Americans want to do. But that night, he was visited by God, and this is what I want you to hear, what the Bible says. This is Jesus' story in Luke 12, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. Now, that's strange, because really, the guy's plan sounds lucid to me. He just said, I got so much stuff, I don't know where to put it. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to be able to retire, and I'm going to take it easy, and I'm going to say, hey, he said, I'm going to say to myself, you got many days. You got all kinds of life left to live. Eat, drink, be merry, enjoy life. Sounds smart. And yet Jesus said, God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Listen to this. Then... Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Are we listening today? 
mean, this is the American dream. Get all you can, can all you get. Live out your days. Enjoy life. And God said to this man, you're out of days. You're out of time. You get all this stuff stored up for yourself. Now, who's going to get all this stuff? And here's what Jesus said. He said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Conversely, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 20. But gather and heap up and store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, I know we've gone through this awfully fast, but I hope there are two words from both of those texts that just resonate with you. This guy who who, who stored up all this stuff on the earth, Jesus said, who's going to get all this stuff that you've stored up for yourself? But now Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven for yourself. You say, well, Mark, that doesn't sound very spiritual. God telling me to do something for myself. Well, you read it. It's in the Bible. Let's read it again. But gather and heap up and store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor worm consume and destroy and where thieves do not break through and steal. I mean, God's just talking smart investment talk here. He's saying, hey, do this for yourself. You're going to live there forever. Send it ahead. Find some way to take today's possessions and use them for the kingdom of God. Invest them. Get out in front of it. See things that others don't see. Be willing to turn loose of something today for a greater return tomorrow. If you thought a commercial was coming, you're right. A week from Friday night, a week from this coming Friday night, we start our annual World Missions Conference. I'm going to ask you to invest right now. I'm going to inv- ask you to invest a Friday night, a Saturday night, and all day Sunday, or Sunday morning and Sunday night. I'm going to ask you to invest. I know this is basketball season. I know you've got stuff to do. But I'm going to ask you to, to get out in front of this thing and, uh, you know, take, see things that others don't see and take the long look and, and give up a Friday night, a Saturday night, and Sunday because we're going to talk about half the world's population who's never known about Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about how to get the gospel to them. Please, I'm, I'm pleading with you, invest. Get out in front. See something others don't see. Give up a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday. And, and we'll be talking more about that. But I, that's my commercial, and I'm through. I, uh, I got to close, and, and I don't really know. I like this story. Maybe I don't know if you'll like it or not, but I'll tell it to you and see what you think. Back in, that, back in 2000, the Charlotte civic leaders wanted to honor Billy Graham. And they asked him to come to a luncheon so that they could just tell him how much they loved their, their beloved citizen, Billy Graham. Billy Graham has Parkinson's disease, and he tries to save all his public energy for preaching, and he was kind of reluctant to go, but they pleaded with him. They said, please, Billy, you don't have to come. You don't have to preach a, you don't have to preach a sermon or anything. Just come and let us love on you a little while. So he, he came, and one by one, they stood up, and they poured out tributes, the kinds of tributes that should be said to a man like Billy Graham, especially by the people that live in his hometown. And after one by one, the leaders had stood up and said sweet things about Billy Graham. Billy Graham was invited to come up and say a few words. And in his feeble voice, he he said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein. He said, you know, Albert Einstein was just named Time's Man of the Century. 
He said one day when Albert Einstein was traveling, he was traveling from Princeton University, he got on the train to travel and started looking for his ticket. He looked in his vest pocket and it wasn't there. He looked in his other pockets, ticket wasn't there. He looked on the seat beside him and ticket wasn't there. And he started looking around. And by this time, the conductor came to him and Mr. Einstein said, I, I can't find my ticket. And the conductor, just so proud to have that moment with Einstein, said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. If you say you have a ticket, you've got a ticket. Don't worry about it. You don't have to find it. You're Dr. Einstein. Don't worry about it at all. Well, the conductor walked on. He was about to leave the car. When he turned around, he looked, and there was Albert Einstein, the great physicist, on his knees in front of his seat, looking around, trying to find his ticket. The conductor came back to him and said, Dr. Einstein, perhaps you didn't hear me. I, I just want you to know, we know who you are. He looked up with that mop of white hair and said, Son, I too know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> Billy said, you see this new suit? He said, I bought this suit for two occasions. One, he said, the first occasion I bought it for is for this luncheon today. He said, my family says in my old age I'm getting kind of slovenly. He said, I used to dress fastidiously, but now he said, my kids and grandkids saying I'm getting a little slovenly, so I bought this suit for this luncheon today, but he said, I bought it for one more event. He said, I'm going to be buried in this suit. But he said, when you hear that Billy Graham has died, he said, don't worry about me. Just remember this. I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. I'm asking you today, do you know who you are, and do you know where you're going? And then a third question, are you living today like somebody who is going to heaven? There's a field of dreams. There are eternal treasures. My challenge is to leverage what you have today for a big investment payoff down the road. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. Would you stand, please?